Coomer, tell me, tell me about these, these, you know, you believe in like humanoids and in, in football. I, I, ex, explain to me. Hummer. I look at this and I see Ohio state. I see Clemson, Alabama. And these are the schools that always are, are doing the experiments, taking the robots, combining them with the players, creating superhumans, humanoids that are dominating the college football landscape. This is a problem. The corrupt college football establishment doing everything in their power to keep University of Cincinnati. They deserve an opportunity and the college football playoff establishment is using the humanoids to keep them out of the college football playoff. Welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Been been getting really tough to say this, but you know what? We're Bearcat fans, and it is always a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. And normally, I feel like it would be me going into a little bit of a rant here, but I, I want to switch things up. We had some really big news with the basketball team uh, that, that dropped over the last couple days. Coomer, Mamadou Diara is not going to be playing the rest of this season. He took a COVID waiver and has decided to, to sit out the, the rest of this campaign. And I know you have to have some thoughts on that. Well, Hummer, as as the leader of the Mamadou Diara fan club, everyone knows where I stand on him. I made some some pretty big assertions before the season about his potential at getting you know upwards of twenty minutes a game and and how important his his skill set could be for the Cincinnati Bearcats this season. Needless to say, I'm devastated. I I, I am truly devastated at the loss of Mamadou Diara uh, for the Bearcats this season because. I saw him as someone who would would come into his own again. We saw it at the end of last season. Um, he really found his stride as a college basketball player for the University of Cincinnati at the end of last season. He was knocking down three-pointers, defending like hell. You know, you heard John Brandon talk about him this offseason about being the best defensive big on the team. And given where we are as a team right now and given how Chris Vogt the only – the only defensive big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, given where we are right now, uh, Rapolis and Chris Vogt, they're struggling on the defensive end of the court. Um, you know, they, they're fouling. They they have trouble. They obviously can't play them together. We, we figured that out early. And now John Brandon has too, that you can't play Rapolis and Vogt together and consistently keep up with top-level Division One college basketball guards or big men. I mean, they just, they've been exposed time and time again. And, and Mamadou would have helped with that. And look, I'm going to play a clip. I, I don't really want to call this a rant either. I don't want to oversell this. It's, you know, it's, it's disappointing. Mamadou is making a decision for him, for his family. He's a new father. We have to take all those things into consideration and give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to miss him. We're certainly going to miss his skill set. I think I'm, I'm going to talk about why, but before I really get started into it, let's, let's, Let's listen to this clip of John Brannon answering a question 
about replacing Mamadou Diarra's minutes on this team? How, how do you adjust or what do you do to kind of compensate for not having him on the floor now? Or is it even as an option? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's the first game without him. I mean, JD plays for more four. Uh, hopefully not getting as much foul trouble. Play more zone at times. I mean, Mamadou was playing seven and a half minutes, of course. So I don't, I don't think it'll be, I don't think it'll, it'll be earth shattering what we have to do. He's just dismissing your boy, man. Just dismissed him. Not a big deal. How do you feel about that? What? I think that was dismissive. That's how I heard it too. When I hear the coach basically say, look, it was seven and a half minutes a game. We're not going to have to change all that much. In some respects, he's right. You know, if it is seven and a half minutes a game and we do have Jeremiah Davenport who can slide in and play more minutes. And by default, this means Zach Harvey's going to get more minutes. And it likely means that, Chris Vode and Rapalus Ivanowskis continue to get the substantial minutes they get on the court. Here's, here's why I disagree with Brandon that it's not going to be earth shattering or that it's, it's not as big of a deal as he seems. He doesn't seem to think it's a big deal. I would say that John Brandon's usage of Mamadou Diara this season was insufficient. And I, and I suspect that Mamadou was not thrilled with that either. I mean, we saw some cryptic tweets and deleted tweets online about, uh, expressing some frustration or alluding to the frustration of not getting consistent minutes on the court. And we know that Mamadou did not play his best basketball either. Here's the thing about Mamadou Diara. The Bearcats as a team play very well when he's on the court. Our offensive rating is higher typically, and our defensive rating is lower. Those two things are good. So, Despite Mamadou Diara not being a stat aggregator, he's not going to be a guy who averages 10 rebounds a game or 15 points a game or this many blocks a game. His skill set is impactful for the Bearcats. And by only playing him seven and a half minutes a game, we were more compromised defensively. We have not, we have been stretched out and we are extremely thin because of what pairing Rapalus and Vote Together has done. And both of them are, are, are fouls waiting to happen at this point on the court. So I think it is more earth shattering than John Brandon's leading on because of the fact that he was our best defensive big. He was another body in the front court for a front court that struggles to not get in foul trouble. I mean, frankly, Chris vote has fouled out of three consecutive games, Hummer, three consecutive games. Rapolis has been a disaster for lack of a better word defensively. Um, I mean, his, his rebounding's good, but all in all, this was a valuable piece of the Bearcats, and he's a guy who has the blood, sweat, and tears put into this program over, you know, this is now his fourth season. And I like to think that he's going to take the year off and come back to the Bearcats, but given what his role is with the team this season, do, is that a certainty? Do you do you think for certain that Mamadou Diara is coming back next season? No, um, I don't actually, and it was funny because I know we were talking about this before, before we hopped on here, but when we were talking with Charlie from the inquire, he pointed out that he was sitting behind the UC's UC's bench. And there came a call where John Brandon turned around and he looked at Mamadou, looked at Davenport, you know, and then ultimately, you know, chose to put Davenport in. So it seems to me that there was a, a battle for minutes between those two, which is not probably where the battle really should have been beginning anyway, because you know, Davenport's not a five. Um, so since he's, he appears to be being out battled or, or just, you know, in the eyes of coach Brandon is, is not the minutes aren't there. 
Is that going to change all of a sudden next year? I don't know. Maybe not. Is that something he's going to risk? Or is this now, does he have a whole, you know, I guess at this point we have, he's going to be watching college basketball for the next three months, four months, wondering if Cincinnati's his spot, you know, there's going to be coaches out there probably potentially trying to, well, I don't know the recruiting rules. So I don't know if he's going to have them directly reaching out to him while he's not in any kind of, you know, formal transfer portal. But I could definitely see this as a situation where, where Mama Do decides to maybe go somewhere else where there's a bigger opportunity for him to get the minutes that he wants uh, and, and get that utilization. Cause we've always, we've had him on the podcast. He, he views himself as, as Michael Jordan. Um, he may, he may be a bit, a bit uh, inflated in terms of how he feels about his own skill set and what he brings to the court. There's no doubt about that, but he is also looking around and seeing what Saseme is doing at Georgia state. He's seeing that Prince Toyambi is now playing consistent minutes at Georgia Southern. He's seeing that Brooks is down in Miami dropping, you know, 15 and 15 games, albeit in a loss to Florida Gulf coast. But when you see, and you have these relationships with guys you came up with, with the Cincinnati Bearcats, go to other schools and get more opportunity. There's no doubt in my mind that he's at least going to consider all those options. And it's worth noting that next season right now, the Bearcats front court looks like this. Tari Eason and Victor Lockin, who is still recovering from a knee injury. And if you want to count him, Jeremiah Davenport, who is basically a stretch four. There are no other big men locked up on our roster next season. There are no incoming 2021 recruits at this point. I suspect we're going to be in the transfer portal, just like we have these past few seasons with the likes of DeJulius and Ivanowskis and Chris McNeil and, and Javen Cumberland. Look, that's a big hole to fill. When you lose potentially Rapalus Ivanowskis, Chris Vogt, and now potentially Mamadou Diara, that leaves us extremely thin and potentially compromised for the next season. I like how you, you did say potentially. Uh, that's another thing that we didn't even think about. COVID has put a blanket waiver uh, on all players playing this year, whether they, they opted out of a waiver or not, an extra year of eligibility. So we could actually potentially theoretically be looking at the exact same team next year. Great. <laughs> I know you say that because, you know, there's a lot that we've, we've been wanting to discuss. And at times we, we really want to, we struggle with, well, should we go there or not? And that has to do with this, this, I don't know, this undeserved lack of discussion of Chris vote and being basically giving him a waiver for all the things that he doesn't do because of the, the couple things that he does really great. And I think it's time to address that because with Mamadou leaving, you know, that's a huge void. We are now, we now have zero depth at the five position, zero. There is going to be a game where Chris Vogt and Rapolis are going to fat both foul out and we're not going to have anybody who's, who's capable of playing that position. So basically we're actually going to see the lineup that I'd more like to see anyway, which is the small ball lineup. I think we can get into that a little later here too, but Chris Vogt just is, he, he's very good in like one unique situation, I think on offense, which is when we do get him the ball down low, the issue is we don't get him the ball all that often down low. His impact has been more negligible when playing against teams with high level big men. And so we saw it last season when we played Memphis, when we played Houston, Chris Vogt struggled in those games. You know, he struggled with the athleticism presented by those fr front courts. Uh, he struggled against Tennessee's front court, which is exceptional, right? They're a, they're an exceptional they're best in the conference. SEC. Yeah, they're the best defense in the SEC. 
Uh, they had the defensive player of the year in Pons. They are likely going to be one of the best defensive teams this entire season in all of college basketball. That doesn't excuse the fact that that he is that it, he's proving to be a liability in those matchups. Here's here's the thing and how I would relate it to Mamadou Diara. Mamadou Diara had a very short leash with respect to John Brandon, right? If he if he didn't go out there and execute, if he had some weak moments, if he was out of position or didn't get on the floor and die for a loose ball, he was going to get pulled off the court. Mamadou did not have much of a leash as it pertained to, to coach John Brandon. Chris Vogt, I would say, has the longest leash on the entire team. To start the season, Chris Vogt played over 30 minutes per game, I think in two or three consecutive games. He probably plays over 30 minutes per game if he doesn't get in foul trouble, but he's fouled out of the last few games, which has impacted his overall minutes. But I look at it and I say, all right, well, is he, is he, you know, he's obviously catching and finishing at the rim really well. He does that exceptionally well. If he gets his hands on the ball and has an opportunity to finish, he typically does it maybe besides that last offensive foul against Tennessee, which is one of the most mind-blowing. His last two two fouls against uh, Tennessee. He did the shoulder shoulder dip and basically elbow someone in the face with the shoulder uh, move twice. Well, but let's let's face it, that fifth foul, I've never seen anything like it in my life. It's it's when you see Chris Vogt make these mistakes is when he's getting frustrated. And he's been frustrated for the last three games. Yes, that's a great point, Hammer. And honestly, it does. It comes from frustration. It comes from the physicality of the game. And the offensive foul was because of how how contested everything was in the lane. And it says, let me try and get some extra space. I'm going to throw my body into the player who is completely 100% not my way at all, not preventing me from laying the ball in and pick up the offensive foul, change the momentum of the game. It was a great play call by Brandon, a great look at the rim that we didn't execute. Here's the thing, though. So he, he finishes the he finishes at the rim. That's what he does really well. Is he then bringing everything else to the court, right? For all the offensive liabilities in terms of what he can't do, is he also rebounding? Is he also defending at a high level and protecting the rim? He doesn't do either of those things very well. He is not a very good defensive rebounder. Does he block out well? I would say most of the time, yes. However, as a unit, the front court failed the test of Tennessee which is the first front court to present any sort of physical challenge for the Bearcats this season. We gave up 14 offensive rebounds in that game. So blocking out at the highest leverage moment against Tennessee, a top 12 team in the country, it wasn't there. Now, in terms of rim protection, that's certainly not the case either. We don't have a lot of defensive stats that can help us measure this type of thing. But the fact is, we saw Xavier score at the rim at will. If the first line of defense, let's say Keith Williams broke down Chris Vogt's not cleaning up that mess consistently. So I look at it and it just, something is amiss for me when you consider that Mamadou had such a short leash and it's kind of dismissed as it's not going to be earth shattering stuff losing him because it was only seven and a half minutes a game. Well, isn't it more important if Chris Vogt's minutes should have gone from maybe 28 to 20 and Mamadou's minutes should have gone from seven and a half to 15 if Mamadou theoretically was a 15 minutes per game player, that is a bigger loss. And when you have foul prone bigs and a thin front court now with a freshman who's look, Tari Eason's going to have to be responsible for more and more and more and more as the season goes along. I think it is a bigger loss than John Brandon is letting on. I think it's disappointing. Um, and look, we might be overblowing it in the sense that it could just be a completely personal reason that he's opting out and that it'll be back next year at the Bearcats. I'm a, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical on that. 
Uh, he's, he played in three games this season and decided to opt out at that point. We don't know the whole story, and I'm not going to pretend like I do, but I do think in terms of pure basketball, for all the folks who want to dismiss Mamadou Diara and his ability on the court, the Bearcats flat out played better basketball when he was in our rotation, and that's not going to be the case anymore. It's really hard to uh, follow up a, a good rant like that. <laughs> Um, no, that's hundred percent right. And uh, you think you bring up an extra, uh, excellent point with Tari Easton has to shoulder and shoulder more of this responsibility. Um, Tari Easton, I think, you know, we, we kind of called him, you know, getting into the starting rotation as a freshman, his role, like you just said, it's going to expand. I think a lot of the game is going to end up on his shoulders, um, as we move through more of the season, uh, He's going to be a player. I know, you know, a lot of people are saying we're going to live and die by Keith Williams, which I still, I think that's, that's to an extent true as well. I also think we're going to live and die by Tari Eason. Uh, what, what's he bringing to the court as a freshman? Uh, he's just going to have to, he's going to have to be doing, he's going to have to do a lot more. He's the most athletic guy on the team. He's, he has, his, he brings an energy to where he's kind of all over the court in, in a good way. You know, whether I'm, I'm trying to really, I'm having a hard time articulating just how good I think he's going to be or how good he looks. Um, can I, can I chime in and try and help you? Cause I think yeah. I know exactly what you're saying, which is Keith Williams. We kind of know exactly what we're getting at this point. Keith Williams, if he can figure out a way to stay on the court and not get in foul trouble, which at this point, it's always been a challenge. It was one of the things we highlighted about Keith Williams coming into the season, which is that he gets in foul trouble. Um, the fouls he picked up in this game against Tennessee were just inexcusable. Um, but so you, you know what you have with Keith Williams. And then in terms of Chris Vogt and Rapalus Ivanowskis, those are two guys that aren't going to be, they're not going to change at this point. We know exactly what we have in those two bigs and there's going to be better games than they had against Tennessee. Ivanowskis is not going to continue to turn the ball over at the rate he has. I suspect Chris Vogt, you could say the same thing. They have the two worst turnover rates on the entire team. Nobody is turning it over at a worse rate than, than Rapalus and vote at this point. And because of that, let's assume those are regressing. Um, you know, they'll, they'll get a little bit better. What you're trying to say about Eason though, is that look, he's an 18 year old freshman with easily the most athletic profile of anybody on the team. Incredible wingspan, six, eight, the skill set of a guy who can, who can eventually take the ball slash to the rim, shoot it from the outside. Is everything clicking at this point? No. But if Tari Eason improves at the rate that we think he can, the sooner it happens, the higher our ceiling gets as a team. And I think that's what you're saying about Tari Eason. That's exactly what, what I'm saying. And you, you put it perfectly. The better he gets, the higher our ceiling gets. Because as of right now, the way I'm looking at it, our ceiling has been lowered greatly from when we started the season in terms of what expectations should be. Uh, at this point, I'm not confident that this team is an NCAA tournament team. Um, I'm not confident in that at all. I would not be betting any money on it at this point. I mean, I think we're looking at a, a projected record of somewhere close to 14 and 11. I think it would be my guess if I had to based off what we've seen so far. Um, you know, in Kempom has it at, at 15 and 10, um, you know, so still pretty close. And we know that none of these results are going to be hundred percent accurate with what they even predict. Um, so I that's think it, Tari, that's if we get 25 games too. You have to, you have to also consider games. the fact that we're probably going to lose four to five games this season. What's interesting to me though, is watching that Tennessee game there and in, in going back to, I believe Furman had the same, the same kind of situation. And so did Xavier. There was a point in the game 
where we did not have Keith Williams or Chris vote on the floor because of foul trouble. And we went small ball and the offense came alive. We took leads. We played defense with Saunders and Davenport on the court and to Julius. Cause those are three top notch defenders. One of the best like trios of defenders. I think that, that I've seen for a long time, um, you know, ha- having on them on the court, we saw them take the lead, but then once we brought in uh, uh, Williams and vote back onto the floor, we saw a stall in the offense, a stagnant offense. And then we see turnover, the turnover machine gets kicked into gear and we just see a lot of mistakes being made and it's cost us some games. There's the Xavier game did get out of hand late. There's Tennessee was a completely winnable game. All these games that we played, that the two that we've lost were completely winnable games. I don't think Tennessee came out and flat out outclassed us. I do think that they were more athletic and that's what led to a lot of these fouls that we had. We had to, we basically played defense by foul. Uh, yeah, we look, they had, they hard. had some athletes and it's hard for when there's a big disparity in athleticism, you're going to have teams fouling. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, we really shot ourselves in the foot with some of those fouls. I mean, Keith mm-hmm. Williams, two fouls in the second half were, committed 75 to 85 feet away from the basket. He was just reaching in after a missed jumper. And then the other one was, I think they were both after missed shots. And he gets frustrated. That's what he does. He gets frustrated and he compounds the mistake. Frustration fouls. And you can't afford them when you're Keith Williams and you're, you're our best offensive weapon, right? I'm not disputing that. He is the best offensive weapon on the team from a scoring standpoint. I love DeJulius facilitating for the team, but in terms of, Keith's raw ability to not even raw it's a developed ability to beat his man off the dribble and get to the rim you know he, he it was a letdown in this game but I think when you're on the pine as long as he was it's hard to get up get back in the game and be in the flow and I think the same can be said for Chris Vote. Um, when you have two fouls or when you have four fouls um, so like two in the first half four in the second half it's it's a mental game at that point about how to defend and how to how to play with those fouls and being there for your team but also not being a detriment just because you're out when you're out there, you still have to defend. And and John Brandon actually did make that comment in the post game about they need to get out of their own heads about about the fouls. When you to defend with fouls, don't worry about the fouls. Just defend the right way. The Bearcats do reach in a lot. I do think we committed a lot of fouls in this game. I do think the officiating was still extremely suspect. I thought Tennessee did a lot to actually earn their free throws. Uh, this in terms of, the I think they called the right fouls got. on us for the most part. It's just they, but they, they didn't call the right on fouls on Tennessee. We got no <laughs> calls in the lane. I saw DeJulius and Micah several times. Maybe a few of those weren't fouls, but there was a lot of physicality on their side, too. They play tough man to man defense, and we just got absolutely no benefit of the doubt in that game. So I do think that that plays a huge role. It's impressive that we stayed in the game, speaks volumes of the guys who were able to stay on the court. Jeremiah Davenport is a flamethrower right now. I'm going to enjoy the three-point barrage. Dude, he's on fire. He's he is on on fire. fire. Um, I'm I'm not going to be surprised to see his usage and his minutes start climbing into the high 20s, um, low 30s point. At this point, he's he's getting to the point where he may have earned himself some some role is either the true six man or somehow earned his way into a starting a starting lineup. Yeah, to start him, I think you'd have to pick. I think it's just tough. Yeah. It's tough. How you go with the the rotations. Right. Because John Brandon actually clearly stated that Tari Eason doesn't know the plays for the five and he's not planning on really playing him in that role. So that doesn't really seem like a completely viable option, but I agree with what you said that this team absolutely needs to embrace small ball at this point. There are going to have to be critical stretches of the game 
where John Brandon goes to that micro lineup of DeJulius, Saunders, Micah Adams-Woods, Keith Williams, and Tari Eason. That lineup is so freaky athletic. I mean, the oh. press the press you can implement with the Mike Saunders Jr., with DeJulius, with Adams-Woods, those three at the head of the press? Good Lord. Oh. Good luck dribbling the ball up the court. So that's one thing that might come from DR being gone is that we see more of this micro ball lineup where Tari Eason's at the five and we're playing four guards with Keith Williams also on the court. That's interesting. That'll be fun to watch. I'm, I'm hoping to see some more things like that because at this point, what's what we're doing right now is not consistently working and we don't seem to be executing at a high level offensively when we've got Rapolis or vote as kind of a focal point of the team. And we're certainly not executing high level defensively when they're on the court either. So how John Brandon juggles that and kind of overcomes that going forward is probably one of the biggest questions for the Bearcats. Yeah, I thought it was interesting too that I think you pointed it out already, or if you haven't, that he he mentioned that he doesn't want to teach Tari Eason the five the five spot either. And I find at this point point, early it's early in the season. It's his first year with the Bearcats. He's probably doing everything in his power to getting him up to speed for playing in that four spot. And so to be fair to Brandon, that takes time in itself. I, well, I wasn't going to criticize Brandon for making that comment. I was more going to along the lines of point out that the way we run the five anyway, where we get guys, we get vote with the ball at the elbow. We get him the ball out at the three throw line to, to look for outlet passes. That's a spot where later on down the road, if Tari Eason is learning that that's dangerous because he can hit the shot from the three. He can hit the shot from the elbow. It's kind of like how I envisioned us playing with Rapalus when I mean, and that's a whole nother story. We can talk about his regression of numbers from going back three years ago. Uh, but when you know you have a guy like Tari Eason that has the, all of those tools available to him, that as a five, getting the ball out by on the arc and has to be guarded. Like, that's what's crazy. You see Chris Vogt get the, get the ball to the top of the arc and no one goes near him within a five-foot radius of him because they don't have to. They right. get to the elbow. They don't really have to guard him that tight because they know he's not going to really pull up and take a jumper from the elbow. Eason, Eason just brings a little more firepower. And, and what's nice about the offense too, though, and I think maybe this is what we'll see when we, you know, we don't have to play with the true five, which is nice when we play that small ball lineup. We don't have to. Mamadou Diara was supposed to be that. I know. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but that's really what he would have been. He's not a true five, but he would have defended like one. And we saw... Here's the thing about Eason. It's going to be trick or treat. You're going to get a lot of these amazing <laughs> moments offensively and defensively where he blocks shots, pins him against the rim. You see him, you know, grab the defensive rebounds, squeeze the rock, get going in the other direction, like Draymond green on the warriors. It's exciting. All of it's exciting. But then you also see the moments like late in the game against Tennessee, where a simple switch where he needs to pick up the cutter because Keith Williams has been picked and he just doesn't do it. And it's a wide open layup for Tennessee that's the learning curve for Tari Eason. And the faster that happens, the better the Bearcats get. Because we really, I was excited about Tari Eason getting 20, 25 minutes a game this season. We're getting to a spot now without Mamadou that, that we're going to be rooting for Tari Eason to be earning 25, 30 minutes a game. And we want it to be earned. We want those minutes to be because Tari Eason is, is clicking, seeing the matrix, ready to, to, to be, you know, the a top two, top three player for the Bearcats this season yeah i think what what we want is we definitely want to see that we want i want to see honestly i want to see it to a point where we're getting a lot of players a lot of minutes especially the younger guys 
because even if this season, I'm not by any means don't want this to be taken as I'm writing this season off. Uh, but just kind of seeing what we have so far, not being confident that we're a tournament team, experience is going to be the name of the game next year. And that's what we need our younger guys to get more of. So we need Tari Eason to get more experience. We need Jeremiah, Jeremiah Davenport to get more experience. We need, you know, we need all of our sophomores and our freshmen to get action on the court, to get acclimated to the game, because this is what we're, this is the future of the Bearcats that we're looking at. And I'm still excited about the, the, the team that we have. It's just, you can see at points, the inexperience sh is shining through, uh, when you see, like you just mentioned, not picking up the right defense, the defensive picks, we seem to have a, a decent amount of that. Uh, team still, look, it's still fun to watch. I still had a great time watching the game against Tennessee, as frustrated as I was at times. Because, like I said, it was a winnable game. We didn't get blown out. The score was not as as wide as it looks on the, in the box score. You know, Tennessee didn't really run away with the game until late. We were we were right there in it. We were trying to make some comebacks it just at the end we we had to get in the foul 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 mode and guess what tennessee is a great foul shooting team they got 30 opportunities from us i think and they made 25 of them like <laughs> they didn't Something miss it like yeah they uh they, they shot they eight were, yeah it's a tough opponent you know i saw some people actually i saw it on two sides brandon was looking at them as a potential final four team one of the best defensive teams in the country i lean more towards brandon on this i think that their talent was evident they defense travels especially in in covid basketball times to have an elite defense this year is probably an advantage um so i think they're going to be good i don't i was i saw folks dismissing them that team that's a good basketball team um, yeah. i a good I don't basketball know team makes 80 percent of their free throws that's what you're supposed to do <laughs> yeah right so i i think that was a tough challenge it's it's certainly not the the end of our season i'm not saying that but there's there's red flags like i i think the ceiling is capped when you have a, a center rotation of Rapalus, Ivanowskis, and Chris Vogt. Like, I do think that is the liability of our team at this point uh, because of, of how they've played so far this season. Look, coming into the season with Ivanowskis, we made the point that his three-point shooting, he came in as kind of a respected shooter, right? This is a guy who can stretch to the three-point line. He can be a threat from outside. His sophomore year, he shot about 43% from three. His, his junior season... Uh, classification wise he shot 26 percent from three so far this season four game sample 10 shots he's made two he's shooting 20 percent unfortunately and i'm and when you just look at his jump shots these don't look this doesn't look like a knockdown shooter from the outside so we might not have as good of a stretch a shooter from the post that we thought we did uh in rapalus ivanowskis he certainly has the defensive liabilities that we we knew he had coming into the season he admitted as much. He admitted that Col that Colgate defensive basketball was not the priority at that program, and and it's different when you come to the Bearcat. It's and it's different when you play the type of competition we play. When you play at Tennessee, he just looked outclassed against Tennessee. The game was moving too fast. He had five turnovers. A few of those were on a, on a very slow spin move that was incredibly easy to double. Rapalus will adjust. The speed of the game will come to him. He'll get used to the competition. He's not going to be a walking turnover all year but there are some limitations to his game that frankly, you just can't, you can't expect them to, to change overnight. Well said, well, I think it's time that we talk about what's really grinding my gears. <laughs> <laughs> what's grinding your gears, Hummer? The 
the corruption, the corrupt playoff rankings are going to come out on Tuesday. And f- people are out there saying that USC is going to jump Cincinnati, that Georgia is going to jump Cincinnati. I'm surprised they haven't called for LSU to jump Cincinnati since they did beat, you know, what have you done for me lately? Um, but I saw something posted by ESPN College Football Verified Account at uh, ESPN College or CFB. Potential college football playoff scenarios. Which one would you like most like to see? A, both Clemson and Notre Dame qualify. B, Coastal Carolina becomes the first non-Power 5 team to make the college football playoff. C, USC is selected to its first ever college football playoff. And D, a Big 12 champion is selected to the college football playoff. ESPN, shove it up your ass and get the hell out of here with that. That is just nonsense to come in there and say, like, we're looking at the college football, the, the corrupt rankings here. I'm sounding like our, our ex-president. The, the corrupt and lying rankings and, and saying Coastal Carolina is, is going to jump Cincinnati all of a sudden. Like, what the heck is going on? Uh, like, it, it did not playing one week really hurt us that bad? And at the same time, it, it really just, it really gets me in the sense that I'm looking at the AP poll and I'm looking at the coaches poll. Both of those polls are opinion based. They are taking. Those are the real college football polls. That's the key. Those polls accurately reflect the reality of college football. In my opinion, we're sixth. Oh, I hate this word. We are sixth in the college or in the coaches and AP polls behind Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, Texas A&M, and then Cincinnati. That's reality-based polling. What's happening with the corrupt playoff rankings, that is straight-up college football establishment politics at its best. That's where they start finagling, well, we need this conference in this spot, and we need this many options from this conference to make sure that this conference, this team, this team being the Cincinnati Bearcats, doesn't make the college football playoff. It's an absolute joke. Here, here's my issue with it. All right, when you get the first like poll that's released or the first rankings that's released, because I guess it's not a poll, it's a ranking, right? That should be that's like the the measuring stick. That's the field that you have created to play play the game with. But then as the season goes, on a whim, they get to just move the goalpost. They get to move the goalpost to benefit other conferences and other teams. There is no reason where why, why if we were ahead of, of, of a school like Iowa State, all of a sudden we're not ahead of them. What, because they beat a barely good West Virginia team? I, all of a sudden, you, you want to tell me, what, what, what have you done for real? They barely beat a ranked Texas team? in a lowly ranked Texas team at that, you know, so it bothers me because once again, we're back into this era of it's just, what is your opinion? And we're, we put it into the hands of this, at least a coaches poll is taking all division one coaches and saying, what do you guys think? They probably it's, don't even it's, really, it's not even really know. a matter though. Like I'm just, to me, those co- those polls are pure in the sense that they are just, they're built upon the start of the season Every week we're looking at who performed in what capacity. Here's the results we've had. How are we going to rank these teams? It's clear with the college football playoff rankings, there is so much more politics involved in that when you consider, well, 
why all of a sudden is said team dropping like Cincinnati did last week from seven to eight? Why are they dropping? They didn't play. They've had no more poor results. Why is Georgia going to same number of games? Why is Georgia going to potentially bounce us at with two losses when they haven't been in front of us with two losses all season? Let's make our, our, our corrupt playoff rankings right now. I want to, I want to go through and predict them with you because it's going to happen Tuesday night. You won't have a new podcast from us at that point. Um, Let's go through and make our corrupt playoff rankings because I think what we'll find is that not Florida losing makes you think, okay, we're, we're going to move back up. We're going to go back from eight to seven. Not so fast. Let's talk about this. Number one is going to be Alabama. Clear cut. No controversy. No drama. Number two is going to be Notre Dame. Again, one through four, one through four is going to be no drama. We- no drama. Notre Dame's 10-0. They're going to stay at number two. No reason to downgrade. Number three, Clemson. No drama still. 9-1. and one. I will say the ACC did everything in their power to protect the fact that they would get those two teams and lock those two teams into the conference final. However, given what happened to Miami this weekend, really no qualms of it. They are clearly the best two teams in the uh, ad hoc uh, Atlantic Coast Conference. Number four, Ohio State. 5-0 and Ohio State. We can have qualms with this. We can nitpick it. This is completely brand recognition. There is nothing more to this. There is no substance to that schedule. You have beaten a terrible Penn State team and a very iffy, we'll just call them a frisky Indiana team, all right? How much respect are we putting on Indiana's name? Dude, well, here, here's the reality, though. If Ohio State gets beat by Indiana in the Big Ten Championship game, Indiana's going to vault up there and pass us, too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We're checkmated. The We're next rank, <laughs> <laughs> number five, Queens Gambit. Number five, Texas A&M is going to stay where they're at. Texas A&M, their claim to fame is that they beat Florida, a Florida team that just lost to LSU at home with fans in the stands. And is now now has two losses on the season. Congratulations, Texas A&M. You've really earned that that number five ranking in the playoff corrupt playoff rankings. So this is where things get interesting, Hummer. <laughs> we really do just sound off our rockers at this point. I'm okay with it. Fake number news, <laughs> fake rankings. These aren't real. You know what? That's it. We're just we're going to take this all the way to the Supreme Court. Just we're lean gonna- in, lean in, buddy. <laughs> we're we're going for it. Number six in the call it in the corrupt playoff rankings. Who will this be? Florida used to occupy this spot and they just dropped that game that, that we mentioned to LSU because of a thrown shoe. We didn't even talk about that. We didn't even yeah. talk about the fact that they lost because a player couldn't help himself, had to chuck an opponent's shoe 20 yards down the field. Just incredible. <laughs> Iowa State's going to take their spot, right? No, Iowa no, State's no. going to move up LSU, from seven to six. LSU is going to take that spot because of what have you done for me lately? You beat a top 10 team all of a sudden. Style you're, points. You're, you get style points because style, it, was, style it was a points. shoe. But no, in all reality, you are right. I think it's going to be Iowa State who moves up Okay, there. so Iowa State is now at six. This leaves our top six at Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, Texas A&M, and now Iowa State. Number seven. This would be the spot you'd expect the Cincinnati Bearcats to bump up to. However... Our game against Tulsa got canceled by the American Athletic Conference. And what have you done for me lately, Hummer? So instead of the Bearcats moving up to seven, I'm going to go ahead and say 
that the University of Southern California oh, you're gonna take is Southern going California. to shoot all the way up to number seven. Because and of their beefy win over UCLA? Because of... That didn't include style points? The comeback kids. They almost lose every single week, but they win. And that means they get to pass the Cincinnati Bearcats football team. USC is now our official six. I'm sorry. They're our official seven. That takes us to number eight. Can we hold our spot after after not playing for three consecutive weeks? The answer is no, Hummer. Who's taking? Who's going to be ranked at number eight? Ding, ding, ding. Georgia. Who? What have you done for me lately? Beat a Missouri team with style. <laughs> Beautiful. So the Bearcats. That means that at number eight comes in the Georgia Bulldogs. Two losses, like you just mentioned, leaving the Cincinnati Bearcats at a, a very respectable ninth in the college football playoff rankings. Not to be outdone, though, the previous number 10 was Miami, Florida. Well, they just gave up 60 points in a football game. They are going to be bounced. Number 10, right behind the Cincinnati Bearcats, will be the Oklahoma Sooners, and they are ripe to pass the Bearcats sending us to number 10 in the future. That's just, we're kind of projecting outward, but look. Well, luckily are, with Oklahoma though, they have to play Iowa state. And so one of them is basically just going to flip flop spots. So we're, we're going to flip spots. You're right. We'll but, they, where they're at. but they most certainly will pass us if they beat Iowa state. But you know, I'm still, I'm still looking out. I mean, coastal Carolina's in our rear view mirror. ESPN's now talking about them being the darlings of the non-power five. They had a, a monstrous win over a very powerful Troy um, a, a nice four point victory over Troy, um, you know, to, to send them to 10 and 0, you know, certainly they're going to have hop on right behind Indiana who's then playing Ohio state. So either way, like you just said, check mate, <laughs> all because of what the corrupt playoff rankings that take into account nothing except for what have you done for me lately? Apparently, and that's a direct question. That's, that's really not what they're taking into consideration, though, Hummer. It has nothing to do with what you've done for me lately. It has everything to do about which conference you're affiliated with and how do we make sure that we get the final four and the conference inclusion that we want, which is I'll there's, say there's that, five options. When, they, when the quote was, I forget who made it, when, Ohio, when they put Iowa State above us was because they said what they have done lately. So they're, they're quite literally doing the opposite this is, and we, this is just me beating a dead horse at this point because I said this last week. We have gone round and round in college basketball to attempt to eliminate the need for big games late in the season to make the games at the beginning of the season count just as much. That's what the net rankings ratings are all about. College football does the exact opposite. It is mind-bogglingly frustrating that they do that. College football is a sham and we should all be embarrassed that we care this much about it. <laughs> I know this was tongue in cheek, cheek Hummer, but the fact is, would you be stunned if the Bearcats were passed by Georgia and Southern California this week? I would be more stunned about Southern California um, because I think the, the, I think the committee would get a lot of flack. They're already getting flack for an Ohio state team. that's only played five games. I can't imagine what they would do putting a USC team up there also. Um, you're right. It's it's probably more likely that Georgia comes in at seven. Georgia 100 is going to pass us because of they just beat a ranked team. So Georgia They're comes in at seven. Lately. Maybe Bearcats come in come in at eight. 
regardless, USC is going to spike, right? They were at 15 last week. There's no doubt in my mind they're going to come in around 9 or 10 this week. It's time for Coastal Carolina to feel our pain. All right, Coastal Carolina is getting passed by USC. They're also (laughs) getting passed by Northwestern. Forgot about Northwestern. Northwestern also beat a very mighty Illinois team who everybody is saying, you should be doing all you can to make sure Luke Fickle goes to Illinois. Illinois' ceiling for football is lower than that of Cincinnati's. I don't care if they're in the Big Ten. It's Illinois. They haven't been good forever. Nothing's going to save that. <laughs> I've been to Champaign. It's a fun college town. There's nothing there. It's cornfields surrounded by more cornfields. Well, I, th- I think I think we've run our uh, our course. I think on... this, we've run our course here on the college Ugh. football playoff. We probably talked too much about it. That's all there is to talk about, though, without football being played. It's I like, hope uh, everyone I'm understands. That we get a game it, this it, weekend. We're trying to to do our best to have fun and laugh at something that is incredibly frustrating. It's it's pretty maddening that you can have probably the best football team in the history of your school, and you just get absolutely you're you're they're taking a dump on our foreheads with how they have approached the college football rankings. It's it's a shame. It's it's a disservice to everything Luke Fickle is doing and accomplishing here at Cincinnati. All we can do to Hummer is double down on supporting that team. And I think you made a great point last week. Don't watch these other games. Don't, don't, don't watch them because then you're buying into their system. We're legitimizing this awful, corrupt playoff system that they've, they've enabled here for the past, you know, however many years, seven, eight years. Um, it's 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 very disappointing. I'm glad we have Bearcat basketball back, despite how how enigma, enigmatic our team is at this point. But there's reason to be to be hopeful long term. I imagine. Here's what the ranking should be. This is what my my truly believe what the ranking should be. This is what it used to be back in pretty much the BCS days for the most part. It should be Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, USC, Colorado. If you have not lost a game up until this point, you should be at the teams at the top of the ranking. If you have lost a game, you should be below the teams that have not lost a game. It doesn't, especially this season. Especially this, this especially season. Especially this season. And I don't care what the conference says, what conference I say, because we know that the dog, the dog, the dog doo-doo of the SEC is just as bad as the dog doo-doo in the American Athletic Conference. Like bad football schools are bad football schools. At the end of the day, it's not going to, it doesn't matter. The only time it's really even mattering, I think in my, and this is just my opinion is when you are literally talking about the teams that are consistently good enough that they could create all, all aggregate together and create their own awesome little second NFL league, the Ohio state Clemson, Notre Dame, Alabama, USC, the schools that are historically good when they are good, they, they can be far in a, in a, a way better than the rest of the competition. But you know what this is, this is wrestling. This is big. This is WWE wrestling. It's not real competition. <laughs> it's wrestling. <laughs> this is wrestling, man. This is, this is storylines. This is all for our entertainment, but it's not real competition. That's what this feels like. Legitimately. Are you not entertained? (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to go listen to this, see how off the reservation it truly is and and make double check, make triple check, make sure we can actually post it. Hummer, it's been a pleasure until Tuesday, my friend. We'll talk to you later.